But this is what we're talking about here in, in, in this month is unmask. You got to take the mask off. Um, healthy you equals healthy relationships. If you're healthy, your relationships will be healthy. Relationships are the result of you, not the other way around necessarily. Somebody say amen. You can be unhealthy if you find some healthy people. The, the healthy, healthy always challenges unhealthy. Somebody say amen. All right. And so, so this is about taking the mask off. And when I'm healthy, my relationships will be healthy. Um, it will always start with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. That is the Christian life right there. One verse. I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love people, and, and in loving people, I'm really going to treat people the way I treat myself. So if I love me, I have no tr problem loving people, but it starts with loving God. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to love God first. Love people second. And make sure you're cool with yourself. Let's just practice that. Look at your neighbor and say, I like me. Okay. All right. Okay. Deacon John's like, I love me. Okay. Look at your neighbor. Do it like Deacon John did. Look at your neighbor and say, I love me. You know, I know how to spell that. L-U-U-U-U-U-H. Love. I love me. Look at that. One more time. Say it from your gut. Say it from your belly. Say, I love me. Okay. Some of you are looking at me like, this is getting weird, Pastor Sean. Just read the word, would you? Yes, I will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for changing us, transforming us. We thank you for 2020, God. This new year, I pray, God, that this be the biggest um, growth season for everybody in this community. The biggest growth season for them that they grow and develop and walk this thing out at the highest level possible in you. I pray, God, that the Christ in me would speak to the Christ in them. Father God, and water would be poured out of the rock inside of us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, I, say, I pray. And everybody say it. Amen. All right, I'm going to get my words right here. So I'm just going to review here. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, unmasked. We're going to talk about today the process of growth, all right? Here we go. We're going to talk about the process it takes to grow, all right? Even just in the natural world, everything is a process. The kingdom of God operates like a seed. You cannot grow without a It is a process. It is no overnight um, thing. A success isn't overnight. Growth isn't over overnight. Um, anything worth anything takes time. Somebody say amen. All right, anything in the kitchen takes time. All right, like, you know, when you don't marinate the chicken, it doesn't taste as good. And then you try to put barbecue sauce on it after you cook the pale white chicken, it's not the same. Come on, talk to me in here. I'm preaching good. Look at your neighbor and say, it takes time. In Espanol, preparada, right? It's got to be prepared, man. No onions or lemons in that overnight or something. Come on. Put something. Look at your name and say, just put something on it. Don't, you don't even have to tell me something. Somebody say time. Growth takes time. Education takes time. Anybody with a college degree, give me a shout in here. Education. Yeah. Bunch of smart people in here. I know. I am intimidated every time I come up preaching here. Everybody here is way smarter than me. It takes time. Somebody say time. Good mar great marriage takes time. All right? Newlyweds. I know you smile in right away and all that, but it takes time to have a good marriage. It takes time. You got, it takes time. It takes time to do anything great. It takes time to build a life worth something. Right? It takes time. Right? So, so that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to go into, we're really just going to hang out in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
And we're going to talk about when you go through a process of growth, what God starts to do in you. The, 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 the profound things he does in us when we allow him to mature us. All right? Dominique will be quiet on the front row, please. Thank you. If you're wondering who that is, that is my five-year-old son on the front row. Yes, I am. There is no hope for pastor's kids. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Somebody said amen in the back, like with conviction. Okay, therefore, having these promises, look at your neighbor and say, I got some promises. You know, we got a lot of promises. We have these promises. This is so powerful. Because it's not just about the promises. They're given. They're in the word. We got 66 books of promises. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in this Bible. I mean, you got, I mean, you, you got a problem, you can find it in the word. You can find the solution. Well, there's so many promises. I mean, just the book of Ephesians alone. I mean, that is a lifetime of promises. Seed in the heavenly places in Christ. Um, the beloved, spirit of wisdom and revelation. I mean, there are just the Ephesians chapter 1. Enough promises in there to get you through this year and, and some. Okay? So, but, but having these promises, somebody say, I got promises. Okay? Uh, beloved, all right, let us, here it is. This is our responsibility now. God's given us. He's graced us. Holy Spirit. We got the Holy Spirit. We got the blood of Jesus. We got the word of God. We got Christian community. We got a pastor that will preach us the word. Yeah, all right, ten, we have 10 members in here, 10 people that call this their church home. Let, look at, let us, let us, let us. We got promises, but let us. We got promises, but there's something I got to do. We got promises, but I have a responsibility. We have promises, but I got to do something. Um, Pastor Jay always used to say, you know, promises have a condition. You got to meet the condition if you want the promise. Right, you got to meet the condition if you want the promise. You want that job, you need to have that certificate that says you graduated. Or you want that next level, you need, you need to go through those classes to get whatever it is. You need to meet the condition to receive the promise. All right? And so, so beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I mean, nobody reads this scripture nowadays. I can't remember the last time I heard somebody preach this scripture to me in church. Maybe John Bevere, like back in the day. This is one of his scriptures. But let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm, say law, pause, think about that. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's the grace of God to perfect holiness in us, to do such a work in us. Verse 2, I'm just reviewing. I'm going to get to my points in about um, 45 minutes. Open... <laughs> Open your hearts to us. I, I talked about this last week. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts. This is the context of deliverance in Christian community, that you have leaders that you actually can trust. And if you can't trust them, God can't do much in that environment. Oh, Lord. This is the standard and responsibility of Christian leadership that I could boldly say, open your hearts to us, our community. If this is your community, that, 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 that this is where healthy you equals healthy relationships. This is where my personal freedom and deliverance is connected to other people. There is, in God, the community uh, that God has created isn't just to socialize. It is, the, it is your process and your journey of freedom is going to happen in the context of being connected to the right people. 
yeah, Jesus preaching good. Up in here. Yes, Lord. So it's sad sometimes. I've been walking with the Lord for, for, a, for a little minute here. And to see people that do genuinely have a passion for God, that Jesus has saved them and touched them. But because of maybe this, some of their issues or some of their experience with church community, they are closed off. They are boarded up. They got all kind of walls and they can't grow because the context of growth is going to happen when somebody else gets in your walls. Yeah, and vice versa. I'm not talking about everybody being in your business, everybody knowing everything about you, but I'm talking about somebody that you invite into your business. And you to them. Come on now. Confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. You got to take the mask off to get healthy. And it's going to be between you and the Lord. Primarily, primero between you and the Lord. And secondly, between you and somebody else. All right. I'm not expecting a lot of amens today. That's okay. All right. You guys getting something out of this already? Great is my, verse 4, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. The, here it is. I got, I got a little statement for you if you're taking notes. The environment that God has chosen to help mature you is community. The environment that God has chosen to help mature you in your journey is community. Verse 8, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. <laughs> I did, but now I don't. So it's an interesting paradigm to be a spiritual leader. It's an interesting situation at times to be a spiritual leader because you walk away going, oh, my goodness, did I just scare everybody? And then allow God to touch me and move on me. He's like, no, you're doing just fine. Just keep preaching the word with love, Pastor Sean. Oh, actually, God doesn't call me Pastor Sean. but he, I mean, my wife don't even call me Pastor Sean. Unless I'm doing something stupid, then she, she uses that against me to say, Pastor Sean, like that. She's done it in front of some people. She's done it in front of anybody she caught, yeah, when, yes, I, yes, Pastor Sean, like that. I'm like, girl, you need to call me Pastor Sean all the time. <laughs> Come underneath that office, bring a blessing on your life. <laughs> oh, man, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. Well, not really, but. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I did not regret it, though I did regret it. He's going through a little internal battle there. All right, you ever feel that way? You're trying to help somebody, you're speaking the truth, you're trying, and then you walk away, you go, man, did I mess up? Did I, you know, did I hurt their feelings? And then, then you know, and we got to evaluate ourselves and our approach, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, my, my heart, I, Crystal Gale, heart, our heart as pastors is that people grow. I mean, I don't want you just out of Egypt. I want you in your promised land. I'm not, I, we don't want a Moses anointing. We want a Joshua anointing. I receive all that Moses did. He was great, but he got him so far. He got him to it. And then God's like, look, man, I got some people in the, in the mix here that are willing to cross over. And they crossed over in three days. And grow, move, occupy something in your life. That's our heart that you occupy and conquer something. Any men of God in here? God's calm. I'm telling you right now, men of you are called to conquer something. All right. Silent, quiet, quiet men up in here. But I'm here to encourage you men of God that there is something that God designed you to occupy. As I'm not saying to do anything, um, you know, this isn't about 
anything negative. It is the spirit of your Lord in you, man of God, to take ground in your life. If Start with your soul, conquer some things, some struggles, some things you've been through, things you're fighting through. Conquer that thing and move on to the next thing. Go conquer something. Do something. Come on. When they crossed over into the promised land, I, this is not my notes, but I'm going to run with it real quick. But Caleb was like, man, give me my mountain. I've been faithful. I've, I've crossed over. Now, God, give me. I mean, there was something in that man, and he might have been looked at from society out of time. But now he's like, man, give me my mountain. Everything in the, in the Word of God, in, in just um, Hebrew culture, it was about a promise God gave, but God's people were called to occupy it. And he's like, I got this for you. There's giants there. Do you want it? It's not going to be easy, but God has graced you and designed you to take some territory for the kingdom of God, your family. Carve out some space for what God has called you to do, okay? And so he goes on, and he says, you know, uh, verse 5, for indeed we came to Macedonia. I'm in verse 5. Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. I prayed about that earlier. Verse 6, nevertheless, only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he has comforted in you, was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for him, so that I rejoiced evermore. There we go again. That this, uh, he was comforted by them and Titus comforted by us by the coming of Titus. So here it is again that they were going through things and God used a Titus to comfort them. When you are, here it is, I got, I got another phrase here for you if you're taking notes. When you are in obedience, God will place people on your path to comfort you in your trials. It's how God works. Your trials will cause conflict, and God has a somebody for you in that. In this context, it was Titus. Take the mask off. Healthy you equals healthy relationships. I'll say it again. When you are in obedience, because this church, the Apostle Paul was in obedience. He sent Titus. Titus was sent to them by God to comfort them. All right? Here it is, verse 8. We're going to get into it now. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, through only, but only for a while. Verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going somewhere. Look, at if you're going to be sorry for something, you might as well go somewhere. Might as well be going somewhere. I ain't trying to be sorry just to be sorry. I'm not, I'm not just trying to mope. Come on now. I'm not just trying to whine. Any parents out there have, have had young kids at any time, whining is the worst experience of a parent's life. Especially when I'm the one doing it. <laughs> but they were sorry for a moment, but it led them somewhere. So what we're going to talk about. That life isn't just unicorns and rainbows, as Giovanna seems to think it is. But there is a godly sorrow that takes you somewhere, right? We're talking, I'm, I'm getting to what I want to talk about. There is a godly sorrow that will lead you somewhere so powerful and profound in God. There is a, God, there is a sorrow that Sean experiences, but on the road of obedience and in that sorrow, I come out more like Jesus. 
Man, I'll, so, I'll, I'll be sorry for something. I'll feel the pain and the hurt of something I've done wrong and, and real, genuinely feel and be sorry for that. Man, because I'm going somewhere and it's not forever. All right, godly sorrow isn't a lifestyle of sorrow. Godly sorrow is but for a moment, as the scripture says, and it leads you to repentance. It leads you to be more like Jesus. Like like John the Baptist said, less of me and more of him. My sorrow is getting rid of me so I can get more of him. Sorrow is a spiritual exchange in God that you shed off you and get more of him. Lay aside the old man and his evil desires and put on the new man who's created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Come on now. So we need to lay that joker to rest. The old man. All right. Sometimes that old man creeps up on us and talks through us and acts through us. And then we go, oh, Lord, I thought I was over that one. I thought I got some victory. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, I thought I was doing pretty good. And that thing jumped all up inside of me. All right. Come on now. That's what the Bible says. It says lay aside the old man. Don't, don't take ownership of that old nature like it's you. It's not you. That person was crucified with Christ. And we are raised together a new creation in Christ. We were, I was crucified with him. Yeah, Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago, but so was Sean Ray Mandoli. It's just Christ now from here on out. That joker tries to crawl up, crawl up out of the grave, and I rebuke that thing. I don't believe in zombies. Somebody say Amen. I don't like horror movies. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I don't like nightmares. Somebody say amen. I ain't like trying to scare myself, invite a spirit of fear into my home. Then I hear a little crack or something. I'm a Jesus hair coming up on my arms. Like I don't play with demons. Somebody say amen. Even on a commercial, I'm like, change it. Praying in the Holy Ghost, watching the Disney channels. Come on, somebody. Get up out of my house. My wife has spiritual, she's has spiritual tentacles or something. Before the horror movie commercial comes on, she's like, and we're, it's like a, it's like a um, deodorant commercial. She's like, change it. I feel like trying to enter our house. No, I'm just like, dang. She, certain music she could hear. She's like, nope, change it. Somebody say, man, man. I, look, I, I mean, I used to do that stuff when I was, when my old man liked that stuff. Even I would be the one acting like I wasn't scared, and I was scared. I'd be like position myself in the room where nobody could see my face. So I could, well, you cut, no, I'm watching it. Not anymore. Somebody look at you and never say, no more. Now rejoice, not that I, you were made sorry. This isn't some, some weird approach towards spiritually. Like, like I'm not like happy because people are sorry for their sin. In a sense of like, oh, like we, we, don't, we don't want to get our kicks off of being sorry. It's not this weird thing. But that your sorrow led to repentance. Come on now. He's talking to a church. He's not talking. This isn't an evangelistic crusade. This is a local church. And he's like, man, it's good y'all are getting sorry for some stuff. But it's leading somewhere. Right? Because in Corinth, uh, there was a lot of sexual immorality. Prostitution was rampant. It was, um, there was, it was a very liberal city. Um, and I'm not getting political here. I just mean they would just do whatever. I'm talking spiritual here. I'm talking spiritual lifestyle. I'm talking morality. It was, it was rampant. Immorality was rampant. No different than today in our world. 
Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Why? Because you will lose what God's trying to give you if you resist him working in you and you actually going through a process of godly sorrow in a moment. He says, because if, you don't, if you're not sorry for it, you're going to lose what I'm trying to get you. If you're not sorry for it, you're actually, God resists the, but gives grace to the, I feel like I'm a conductor here. No. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. I feel so powerful. Humble. Yeah, thank you, Tina. Thank you for my, thank you. See, community. Speaking the truth in love. Look at your neighbor and say, stay humble. Look at your neighbor and say, my pastor is so humble. He's so, so no, nobody said that. What? For you were made, sorry, in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. All right? Um, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Here it is. Here it is. We're, get, we're getting into it here. All right. You guys give me um, just a few more moments. Dang, I'm doing good on time. Y'all are stuck now. Okay, here it is. I'm going to give you some definitions. I'm going to teach you something. The word sorry. Look at your neighbor and say sorry. All right. We're always telling our children to say sorry to each other. Right? You know, and it's so cute when they do it genuinely. The other day, they got in a little, little altercation. Nico came down the stairs and says, I'm sorry, Gia, for, what, you know, and she's like, I forgive you. I was like, oh, my goodness. I wish it was that easy for me. <laughs> but sorry, it means to experience, you guys are going to love this, to experience deep emotional pain. Yeah, didn't need the Greek for that, did you? Sadness, severe sorrow, grief, all right? Lepeo is the Greek word. It means, to, it means is very intense and hence even used of the pain of childbirth. And so what it's saying is sorry. David said I was sorry for my sin. Sorry means you genuinely feel bad. That's what it is. We ought to feel bad when we mess up. We, the Bible talks about like that certain people, their conscience will be seared with the hot iron. I mean, they don't feel. Anybody that plays a, a, an instrument, they have calluses on their fingers. If I tried to play a guitar for a day, I, my hands would be bleeding because I'd feel it. But people that play, they, they, that's what it does. It produces calluses. So you don't feel. And so seared with a hot iron, we want to be people that still feel when we mess up. That we don't get hard and hardened because there's going to come a point where, and I'm not talking about, this doesn't always have to be this deep, dark sin all the time. Sometimes it, as small as it is, it still grieves the Holy Spirit. It still bothers him. Anybody ever feel the Holy Spirit bothered inside of you, grieved because of something you did? It's a beautiful thing. It's a sign you're alive and that you have a conscience. Come on now. Praise God that people still feel that I can't just run my mouth and say anything. Oh, that we, you know, I've done that. I, I, I'm working on this myself. All right, produces repentance. This is what it means. 
works and produces a changed mind. So, so godly sorrow is changes us. Godly sorrow produces repentance. It changes the way we think. It is God's method of changing us. A lot of people say, man, you need to read the Bible because then you'll renew your mind. Yes, but if you just read the Bible and you have no sorrow for you in the process of God putting his hand on something, you're just going to have Bible knowledge and you're going to be religious and hateful and disconnected from people. You got to mix your Bible reading with some tears. We got, we got to mix our Bible knowledge with it actually changing us. Because I don't read this thing to know something. I read this thing to know a person. And when you get to know that person, you're going to change this person. And so we, we, Bible knowledge isn't enough. You, that's great. But, but that, that stuff's got to trickle down into here and start working on us. Attitude and behavior are more important than knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, the Bible says, but love edifies. Come on now. All right, here we go. Works and produces a changed mind. It transforms our nature. I don't want to get smarter per se, biblically. Of course I do, and I love that. But, but it's not that I want to get smarter. I, wanna, I, want, I want my mindset to be changed. I want a changed nature. That's what we need. All right? That's what, okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself. Leading to salvation. Here it is. So godly sorrow, once again genuinely feeling sorry for, for the wrong we do, it produces repentance. It changes our character, leading to salvation. The word salvation is a comprehensive word. Actually, the name of Jesus is the word salvation. Yeshua, um, in the Greek, soter, soterion. It's, 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 it's everything that God is. So it's salvation. Salvation just isn't saved from hell. It is the very nature of God imputed to us given to us we are partakers of salvation we are partakers of the divine nature okay and so here deliverance there's some words leading to salvation deliverance welfare preservation prosperity salvation is health healing wholeness how many of you we could all use a little more of that in actuality somebody say amen okay here we go here's my my first point <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is how we did the notes this time. But here it is. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. So what is this saying? That your growth is a process. You can't grow without some sorrow up in there. You can't grow without repentance up in there. And obviously can't grow without the manifestation of who God is in our life, which is salvation. God's method. Here we go. I'm going to read some notes here. Here we go. God's method of growth is always a process. Those that don't grow don't grow because they're avoiding a process. Hey, Jesus. All right, here it is, another one. The one indicator of spiritual maturity and growth is Christ-likeness. That is it. There, there are other things we do as we grow, but an indicator of true maturity in Christ is his nature, period. It is his nature, it is Jesus, that when you interact with me, I'm interacting with Jesus in you. That when, when somebody, when, when we are done wrong, we bless Jesus. When we are done wrong, we forgive Jesus. When we go through a tough time, we, 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 we are faithful, Jesus. When, 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 we, when we grew up thinking it's all about us and we serve others, Jesus. Here it is. Influence is not an indicator of spiritual maturity. 
Influence is not. There's a lot of people with influence. Doesn't mean they're mature in Christ. Nothing wrong with influence. God uses influence. But influence is not an indicator of spiritual maturity. There's way too many people that have influence that are immature. Can I get a witness? And this is the thing. Even God gives people influence. But just because they have influence doesn't mean they're mature. It means they're gifted. And God graced them to be there. But it doesn't mean they're mature. Here we go. You want some more that, that, you know, here is another one. Operating in spiritual gifts is not an indicator of spiritual maturity. The Corinthian church was operating in spiritual gifts. And they was also sleeping with everybody. Yeah, Jesus. All right. Man, I'm just, I, I love you guys. Thank you. Right? Operating, and because sometimes when we see somebody operating a spiritual gift, people have been wounded and hurt in the church because they equated a spiritual gift with maturity. They get to know that person. That person is shady as could be, but yet they prophesy over everybody. Uh-huh. And then you got people leaving church because somebody with a spiritual gift was operating in a legit gift God gave them, but the maturity, they were babies. They were babies with machine guns. Come on now. I've seen it. Yeah. All right. Praise the Lord. Somebody say, take the mask off. <laughs> Bible knowledge is not an indicator of spiritual maturity. There's people that know the Bible way better than all of us put together. But they, they don't have an ounce of love in them. That is not maturity. That's reading a book and, and being able to retain information. Some of the, and then it comes out their mouth all twisted. Like you, that is wrong. Yeah, anybody ever experienced somebody with a lot of Bible knowledge, but they are a mess? Can I get a witness in the house? Christ likeness. All that is good. Not the bad stuff, but you know, spiritual gifts and influence and Bible knowledge. All that is in the word. It's part of your journey and walk with God. But those things are given by grace, not by maturity. Oh, man. Gifts aren't given because you earn them. Gifts are given to people because God graced them. And they need to steward that by actually cleansing themselves with the filthiness of the flesh and spirit so that when it comes through, it's clean. Look at your neighbor and say, I just want to be clean. All right, here we go. My second point. <laughs> here we go. Verse 11. You guys all right? We're almost done. You guys getting something out of this? All right, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Now we're going to talk about these things, and I'll go through them quickly. I'm going to read the verse, and then we'll talk about them for a second, okay? What diligence it produced in you. Somebody say diligence. What clearing of yourself. Somebody say clearing of myself. What indignation. Somebody say indignation. What fear. Somebody say fear. We're talking about godly fear here, okay? We're not talking about the fear of man. We're talking about the fear of the Lord. It says, what clear, um, what vehement desire, that's a fancy word. Somebody say vehement desire. Here we go. What zeal, somebody say zeal. What vindication, somebody say vindication. All these big words that we, none of us really know what they mean until we look them up. At least that's my story. In all things, here we go, you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. You prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see the process? You proved yourself to be clear clean, pure in this matter, okay? 
We're all going through something. We're all on a journey, and God is maturing us. And through that process, there, there are seasons of this. There's layers to this where, where you go, go through a process like this, and then God's like, man, you did it. You, 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 you're clear in this matter. You graduated from this thing. You, you step from, like, you know, Giovanna's in first grade. She's going to step over into um, second grade. She's going to be clear in this matter. She's going to take her little test at the end of the year, and she's going to pass with flying colors in the name of Jesus. And then she's going to go to second grade. So we got too many Christians that are, been in church for 20 years, they're still in first grade. Because it ain't easy to grow. It's painful. Sorrowful. Anybody want to grow? I mean, it ain't always easy to grow. Parenting isn't about skill. It's about maturity. Being a husband isn't about making money, although my wife definitely wants me to be able to make some money, but it's about maturity. At the end of the day, running a business, being a pastor isn't about gift and ability and strategy. It's about maturity. Being a successful single person in this world isn't about this or that. It's about maturity. I'm here to tell you right now, everything God has for you, the one thing standing in between what God wants to give you, the promise, and where you are, is you need to grow to it and grow through it to get it. Here we go. All right. All those things. Although, uh, therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. He's talking about somebody doing them wrong. And they had to, doing them wrong. They had to go through a process of maturity. God wasn't concerned about what they did wrong. Neither was their pastor or spiritual leader. He was like, you are clear in this, man. You grew. You grew. It's not what they did. It's you grow. It's not, you know, some of the worst, anybody ever been through something tough and you actually, you responded well through it, you walked through it, and you grew through it. You're better because of it, not bitter. That's what he's saying. Look, this ain't about who did you wrong. Look at this. Read this word. Take it home with you. It's not about what they did. It's about that you grew and what it produced in you. It's amazing. You don't have to get overly complicated to grow. Just keep living, and things will happen, and you will have to respond as a mature believer in Christ. Hallelujah. I want to grow. I want to grow. Okay. Keep living. Just keep living. Growth isn't far from you. And growth isn't, isn't hard to find. But it is sometimes hard to achieve. I want to really grow in the Lord. I, me too. Hallelujah. Here we go. We're almost done. Okay. Here it is. Therefore, verse 12. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong. It's not about all that. But that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Here we go. We're going to just go through these seven things that God does in you when you allow him to take you on a process of growth from godly sorrow to repentance to salvation. Here it is. Allow God to produce these in you. Allow God to produce these in you. Number one, and I'm just taking a different definition of those seven, swift obedience. That's what it does to you. It, 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 when you mature and go through a process, that is the first one there, um, which is uh, diligence, or really in the Greek it means swift obedience, meaning you're a lot quicker with listening to God this time. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody you ever like look back and you're part of your testimony is like, man, God was knocking on my door and I just wasn't answering it. And then this happened, this happened, this happened. And now I can hear his voice clearly. And I move when he says move. 
And I serve when he says serve. And I go to grow track when he says go to grow track. <laughs> but swift obedience, here it is, the definition. Speed to give your best. A higher sensitivity to hear the voice of God and follow his leading. That's what happens when you go through a process of growth. You hear the voice of God quicker and your, your obedience is more swift. Second one, purity or clearing of yourself. A thought-out response to adequately address the issues that, is, that are raised. Purity. Purity. This is true spiritual maturity. It's swift obedience when he's speaking to you and moving on you. Number two is purity. I, it's amazing uh, that I can see somebody that's walking with the Lord may not even know them and see how quickly they move with God. I'm like, that is a sign of maturity. That they don't, they're not just fighting it for days. That they're just like, oh, God's saying this. God's moving. I'm going to do this. All right? Here's purity. Here's a third one. Right, this is a big Bible word here. Righteous indignation. All right, I'm going to teach you something. Here it is. It's deep displeasure for my own sin. Grieve about the things that grieve God. Love does not rejoice in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. This isn't about righteous, this process isn't about my judgment of others. It's my deep displeasure for my sin, for my struggle. I'm not pointing the finger. I got plenty to work on. I ain't got time for all that. I got too much to work on up in here. I'm on a journey. I, I, got, I got some work to do. And I, I'm, I'm being serious. As a person, I'm, 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 I'm very serious here about even my own process. That this righteous indignation isn't my indignation toward you. It's the indignation of the sin that I've had to fight through. It's, this is what maturity produces in us, a displeasure of the sin we used to pleasure in. All right, Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. And that season's over when you go through a growth process. You're like, look, I ain't trying to do that no more. I mean, I remember going to church smoking weed for a long time. And it got to a point, and I'm going to say this, where I didn't want to do it. I remember I used to cuss a lot. Had a bit really bad potty mouth uh, since I was real little. I was like that little, the little one, mouthy, like little, like like and grown people are like, oh my goodness, like kind of this little kid talks like that. Can anybody relate? <laughs> no, I know you can't. You are a bunch of church people. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. Can anybody relate to a brother? But. Um, but I remember when I got saved, God touched my heart. I still struggle with it a little bit. I remember there was a point where my language changed. It produced a righteous indignation in me. All right, here's the next one. Godly fear. It produces a fear of God in us. It, the, your growth maturity process will make a worshiper out of you. You respect God more. To, this is what it means, to flee from and remove yourself from sin. That's godly fear. Um, to dread what kills your relationship with God, godly fear. This isn't a, oh, God's going to kill me. No, it's a respect for God and his holiness and that I don't want anything to get in the, in the, and interfere with my relationship with God. This is godly fear that I want, I have a, um, a, a dread for the thing that kills my relationship with God. All right, here we go. We're almost done. Next one, earnest desire for God. That's what that next one means. One, two, three, four. That's number five. Earnest desire for God. It makes a worshiper out of you. 
Some people that struggle with worship is because they have, they need to mature into it. They aren't free to do that just yet. And some people, here we go, it produces worship. But I wanted to say this. Sometimes you might look at people that have a propensity to worship. They're just a little bit more free in their expression. And, that, and, and spiritual, that was one of my other ones. Um, spiritual activity doesn't necessarily equate to spiritual maturity. Because sometimes people that are worshiping the most are the one with the most issues. And maybe that's why they're worshiping. Right? Maybe they just, look, like, look, my struggle's different than y'all, but, so let me just cut loose because I'm trying to get free here. So it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an act of, oh, I'm the spiritual one. No, it's usually the act of, I'm the troubled one, and I just need his presence. And so uh, for me, I, like, for real, I just need to worship. I mean, I mean, I'm about, you know, even in church and our gatherings, I'm about to preach, but for real, I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm, I know y'all here, love y'all, but I'm just trying to worship. Like, I need God. I'm not here. This ain't just some cute thing. Just like, no, like, I literally, if I don't have God in my life, I'm dead in the water. If I don't have God in my life, it's over. If I don't have God in my life, I could do nothing without him. And now's my opportunity to tell him how great he is. Excuse me. This is not that I'm more mature than you. Actually, maybe it's a sign that I'm less mature than you. I'm just going after God. All right. But earnest desire for God. Two more. Zeal. Here's the next one. Something very fervent. Red hot. That's the definition of the word zeal. People that aren't on fire, maybe they haven't responded right in the maturity process. So, it has un- so they haven't been able to allow zeal to be produced. All right? We're almost done. It's, uh, this word zeal means it's hot enough to boil. As with spirit-fueled zeal to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't want you just to get better. I want you to be on fire. I mean, I want a bunch of burning people up in here. You know what I'm saying? Burning for God, just on fire. Just that fire, the Bible talks about how the fire burns the, the chaff, the, the useless matter in harvest. Chaff was, was like the weeds, and the fire burns the chaff with unquenchable fire. Holy Spirit baptism burns the chaff. It burns the impurities. It burns the worldliness. It burns the addiction. It burns the depression. It burns the anxiety. It burns the pride. We, I want a church on fire for God. Not on fire for church. That's not on fire for this or that. On fire for God, just on fire. Come on now. All right. I want people to come here just to watch y'all burn. Come on now. Burn for God. I mean, I, Jesus said zeal for his house has consumed him. I mean, Jesus flipping over tables and stuff and zeal for his house consumed him. I mean, we want to be on fire for God. All right. Maturity. Some people say zeal is immaturity. No, according to the scripture, zeal is people that have gone through a process that have, that have produced a zeal for God in their life. And zeal isn't always um, overt, okay, but it's fire. Fire. Okay, here we go. Almost done. Last one. Vindication. It's the last one. Vindication. It's vengeance. Produces vengeance in you. I know this stuff has, has uh, always been looked at as these judgmental things. This is just Bible language that needs to be defined right. I'm talking about vengeance against the devil in your life. It produces a vengeance, a fire. Vindication. Here it is. Vengeance. Justice. Avenging. Anybody like the Avengers? 
My wife is a big Marvel fan. Uh, to do, here it is. Vindication. Here we go. We're going to close with this. Maturity produces something in you because every last one of you, I'm here to tell you right now, the devil hates the word of God inside of you. He hates that you're walking with God. He hates that you love Jesus, and he's going to try to kill you. The Bible says the thief has come not to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you say yes to God, and you're willing to walk through a process of, of saying, God, man, deal with this stuff in me. God, thank you for putting your hand on this. God, thank you that I feel the wrong, and I'm going to walk through this. I'm not going to, this isn't to stay in the sorrow for a moment, but I'm going to walk through this, and it's going to produce in you a vindication. Another word for it is justice. And what does that mean for me, Pastor Sean? It means that everything the devil tried to stop you from doing, you do anyway. That the, you got to understand that the devil is assigned to destroy the word of God inside of you. And everything you've been through, God will produce a vindication that you will live out everything he said you couldn't. That you will walk into everything he said you, that it was limited. That you will fulfill everything he said you can't do. And you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. Here it is. We're going to do this. We're going to pray right now. Vindication. So swift obedience. Purity, righteous indignation, godly fear, earnest desire for God's zeal, vindication. This is just, can I, can I just pastor you this morning and just, just empower you? Because sometimes I think when people are, sometimes we hear so much, we hear so much fluff in the church. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Meaning, and then when you are going through something and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, sometimes you're like, man, is this God? Because we don't hear about God's process for growth. And I'm here to tell you, if it's producing repentance and salvation in you, definitely not the devil. And somebody will be like, oh man, it's the devil making me feel that way. The devil will condemn you and leave you there. But God will convict us and conviction doesn't feel good. And just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not God. Act, the fact that you feel tells me you're sensitive to the Spirit of God. And it says it produced, he said, that you are clear in this matter. It's situational. So in the matter you're walking through, I believe God has this word because I believe everybody in here is walking through a maturation process in some area of your life. And I'm here to tell you right now, God's gracing you and speaking to you now so you can be clear in this matter and then move on to the next one. Be clear in this matter. We ought to have some history with God where we're like, man, can't do that. That was rough. Man, can't do that next one. Took a little longer than I thought I would, but got through that. Can I get an amen? And here it is. Clear in this matter means this, and we're going to just close. Clear is the word holy or hagios in the Greek. And, and it means this, pure, clean, Holy, innocent, uncontaminated, even down to the center of one's being. Not mixed with guilt or any condemnation. Clear, free, 
godly sorrow for a moment leads to repentance that produce that produces repentance that leads to salvation leads to salvation every head bowed every eye closed